Welcome to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. My name's Will Duffin, GP and Education Lead. This series is for paramedics, doctors, nurses, physios, anyone working in healthcare who has a curious and adventurous mind. My guest today is Piers Carter. Piers is a coach, a facilitator, a trainer and speaker on all things leadership and team related. And he helps people have better conversations with themselves, with their teams uh, and as leaders. He's worked with a variety of different corporate uh, sector partners, people like PepsiCo, Kellogg's, Merck, AstraZeneca, Rolls-Royce, but today he's working with us. Piers, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Will. Really nice to be here. Now, it's great, great to have you uh, on, on the show. Now, uh, tell us which aspect of leadership are we going to be exploring today? Uh, good question. And there are so many. Um, I think as I, the more I do in this sort of world of leadership and in, and, and in teams and working with organizations, the more it kind of boils down a lot of the time. You have, you know, this massive broad funnel of potential skill sets that you can learn, behaviors that you can learn. But I think what I'm really interested in and what I find many of my conversations with clients turn towards is self-awareness. Yeah, that sense of who am I? How do I come across? How do I show up? What am I like in this moment with this person, with this team? And that's what I'm really interested in is is exploring exploring self-awareness and how we can make it work for us, really. Fantastic. So that's something we're going to to deep dive into, and we'll draw on both your uh, leadership theory and also your um, thoughts around meditation. And you're a keen practitioner of this, and it's something you teach in, in a lot of your work as well. So I think there'll be some really interesting insights there. But before we move on to that, I just we, we've talked a little bit about what you do. Can you tell us a little bit about why hmm. you teach uh, leadership? Yeah, yeah, I, I can. And it isn't something I often share with groups. And I wonder if I should share it more often, because I think, you know, there is something quite compelling about our why. Um, and I, from at a simple level, what, you know, when I'm trying to explain what I do, I think I would say that I help individuals, I help people have better conversations. I help them, like you said in the intro, conversations with yourself, what's your self-talk like? conversations with other people, either teams or leaders, and the why. Because I think everything we do is based on relationships. Every interaction we have, every job that we do, at some level, every every social, every family member, it's all based on relationships. And if we can get those relationships right, I, I genuinely believe we might have a, a happier a happier world in our little community. And maybe if communities are happier, then you know, countries are happier. And if countries were happier, maybe the planet would be happier. So it, it, it's quite a grand sort of sense of, of importance in one way. But at the same time, I do think if we could get some of the basics right, maybe there'd be more contentment. And, you know, happy people don't hurt people. So, you know, let's try and make people happier, make relationships better. And maybe that makes for a better, happier, healthier planet. Brilliant. Okay, so Piers, what is awareness? <laughs> Yeah, good question. What is awareness? I, I suppose I would I would pre I would precede of the word awareness with self awareness. I think it's I'm I'm interested. I think I'm endlessly curious. So I'm endlessly curious from my own perspective. So everything I do, I feel like teaches me something. So my self awareness is I'm really interested in how I show up, who I am, what I'm like in this moment with you 
in a moment with my clients, in a moment when I finish this call and I go downstairs and I see my teenage sons and my wife, I've got a real sense of, of you know, am I conscious about how I'm showing up in as I walk through the door, as I come onto the screen, as I, you know, because we can choose. I genuinely believe we can choose who we are and how we are in in any moment. And that is that is terrifying and it's liberating. So, so I, I, I literally get to choose right now how I am with you. And, and the, I have more choice if I'm more aware. It's only when I know how I come across and the impact I might be having that I get to make a skillful choice about what I do next. So I think awareness yeah. facilitates choice. But sometimes we don't know that we have a choice. What kind of factors limit our self-awareness how can that uh how can that be defective sometimes yeah brilliant you're right you're right and some of us are you know i think our upbringing our history plays a massive part in in who we are in any at, at this moment so everything that has preceded this event in my life has has gone to shape what you're seeing right now and what you're hearing on screen so yeah i mean maybe i grew up in really challenging circumstances maybe i wasn't taught that I could make choices about my impact and my personality or the nature of how I communicate. And it's highly likely that if I live in a very threatened environment, emotionally, socioeconomically, um, you know, if I live in a very, if I've grown up in a state of threat, then it's, you know, I don't necessarily know. I've not had my eyes opened and my experience open to the possibility of choice. So it's really easy to say, I'm fully aware that it's easy to say, but it takes a lot of inner work to actually be able to do it and to put it into practice when the rubber meets the road, you know, when, when it really matters. Yes, that's really interesting because you can, you can theorize about this all you like, but at the end of the day, it's what, it's how you then uh, action some of these ideas in, in real life and yeah. how you behave towards others when it comes to it, when, when you're under stress. Yeah. And, and, and of course we're all triggered as well. We've all got patterns and triggers. So, you know, that there are things that, there are things I know about me that can, you know, if I see, um, if I see unfairness, somebody else might observe that and go, well, that's not very fair, is it? That was a bit, and I, that, in me, that can trigger a really quite a powerful reaction, an emotional reaction, which can manifest itself in my behavior. So it's possible I would be very intolerant of that if I saw it. And maybe I wouldn't be as skillful with how I chose to reprimand somebody if I witnessed that. And whereas another person might notice it and be much more rational and distant from it. So that's peculiar to me. And we all have those. We all have those triggers and patterns. Yeah. So you've identified fairness as being one of your triggers. You're yeah. demonstrating this and self-awareness, which is great. To <laughs> And it's interesting, fairness is, um, when we talk about the, the chimp paradox, that's one of those mm. key um, key triggers that uh, we know activates our, our chimp brain and uh, alongside status, uh, uh, certainty, relatedness, autonomy. Uh, there are certain uh, certain things that really get us going. Can you tell us a little bit more about how how that chimp brain can uh, can be can really interfere with our ability to be self-aware and to behave in a rational way. Yeah, well, I can I can and 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 I don't know whether it, I do, so I've read the chimp paradox here really I think it's a great book. It gives a lovely model to understand our nature and and how we come across and and um I've read a book recently which I think's well worth a look. Uh, it's called Your Body is Your Brain. It's by a woman called Amanda Blake and and you know I'd highly recommend it but it's it's talking about some of the signals we get from our guts, you know, when we talk about a gut feel or our instinct. And it talks about the innovation and, and the, the, 
the messages that are coming from our heart rate, from our breathing rate, from our tummy activity in terms of, and, our, and us therefore interpreting the world based on, it's almost like our, our internal organs are our social and emotional senses. If our eyes are, are registering the visual world, then it's our gut that's often telling us about the social and emotional world. That's why we can walk into a room and, you know, say, oh, there's something going on here, you know, and you can just sense it. You don't know why you haven't heard anything, you haven't seen anything, but there's an instinct. And she talks a lot about that and helps helps to understand that in a in quite a a, a clear you know a clear and, lo- and logical way. And one of the concepts she talks about is this fundamental, almost nutritional need we have for safety, connection, and respect. And I think this is what you know relating this to the chimp. The chimp is after safety, physical and emotional safety. Um, and when the chimp gets activated, there's a threat at some level to our physical or emotional safety. And if we don't fulfill the safety need, then how on earth can we build connection with other mammals, with other human beings? And then that sort of prefrontal cortex part of the brain wants respect. Now, the current health crisis, fundamentally, we're being challenged at a safety level. So no wonder lots of people are activated. No wonder lots of my colleagues are a bit more short-tempered or a bit more reactive than normal. Connection, well, that's been taken away from us. So we're not allowed to connect with anybody. So then we're stuck with respect. A lot of us, you know, many people out there can't work. Most of the Western world gets its satisfaction and its respect through its working life. So those three things right now are fundamental. So no wonder there's a bit of chimp, chimp-related activity going on. If, we're, if we've thre- taken away respect, we no longer have the same social connection we had because of social distancing, and safety is threatened because we're worried about getting an illness. So, you know, those three things play out are definitely going to activate some people's chimps. So we may well be seeing in our friends and our colleagues and our family more reactivity than we've seen in the past. Wow, that's really, really interesting. So that everyone is at a slightly heightened state of reactivity by virtue of the the, the challenging circumstances that we're all in. That's um, so. Uh, <laughs> I, so I, I mean, I can riff on this for a while because so I, I'm self-employed. I've been self-employed since 1998. I've been working in the learning and development field. When the when the lockdown first came. I noticed in my f- other self-employed friends, different reactions. My re- I wanted to withdraw. I had a real sense of, I need to check my family are okay. I want to, I didn't, I felt, I felt work was almost an intrusion. I wanted to, I wanted to go and plant vegetables. You know, I wanted to get an air gun in case I had to shoot squirrels to eat them, you know, and it, there was a real sense of kind of, Ooh, put up. Okay. Let's just check, consolidate. I had other people who were kind of reaching out through the internet yeah, you know, I need this. I want to make contact here. I want to talk to it. There was a real sense of, and other people were, were lost, were sort of looking around almost helplessly saying, I've got no work. I've got, I've got nothing. My, my diary is empty. What am I going to do? So we're all, I, I'm, I'm convinced we've seen some reactivity. And, and I'm, I was fascinated to see what's happening. My wife's a head teacher. She had real purpose because there was all of this uncertainty. So it was all about planning. It was about contingency. It was about, but it was, it was, so she flipped into gear. Yep, totally flipped mm. into gear. And I'm sh- I don't know about the health service specifically. I've got a few friends and family who are in the NHS, but I know there was an awful lot of, okay, we've got to prepare. We've got to clear the decks. We've got to empty hospitals of patients in case we're ready for this tidal wave. And, you know, everybody's in kind of prepare mode. And then, okay, what now? <laughs> and, and See, yeah. It's really interesting you say that because I think we you could argue that, that the whole economic system is built around productivity um, and GDP. It means that we, as as uh, as as cogs in that huge machine, we are 
we are hardwired to want to be constantly producing and, and working at our, the limits of our own capacity. And when perhaps work is taken away from us or we're, there's a period of forced solitude or, mm. or reflection, we almost just don't know what to do with ourselves. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're, you're right. And I, but aren't we all seeing through that? Do you know? Do you not think we're all seeing through that at some level? That- I think, yeah, absolutely. I think this is an opportunity for us to see through that if we choose to, if yeah. we use this time in that way. And I think for many people who are who are furloughed or perhaps their role has changed or they've got uh, got chance to to reflect, um, it's a time for us to reconnect with with ourselves and indeed to develop our awareness, that moment-to-moment awareness that perhaps we didn't allow time for when we were so focused on all the the, the tasks and, 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 and uh, just, just producing a, a high rate. Um, so there, there is potentially a huge opportunity with, with regards to self-awareness presented to all of us right now if we choose to use it. Yeah, there is. But they, those three things, safety, connection, and respect, stack up like bricks. If you take safety away, these two are irrelevant if I feel unsafe. So if I've lost my job, if I've been furloughed, I'm not going to go for some sort of self-realization of, you know, I'm not going to sit, I'm not going to get into my meditation. I'm going to worry about where on earth I'm going to get money from. So, so that building block has to be in place. Then we can build connection. Then we can build respect. And so that, so the self-awareness piece, I'm not naive enough to believe it's for the person who isn't working at the moment. Self-awareness might not be the place to start. It might be just getting enough money in to feed my kids. And maybe what you're talking about there is a little bit um, of Maslow's hierarchy of yeah. needs. You need those basic levels at the bottom of that pyramid to be met before those higher needs can then be uh, dealt with. Absolutely, absolutely. But but I but I do but I, you're right. I think it is an opportunity as well. I mean, I think the whole f- the, the, I think this virus is a shot across the bows for the human race. Without wanting to sound too too grand, I do. I genuinely think it's it's a warning signal. And I think it, this is giving us a brilliant opportunity to to begin to say, you know, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be as a citizen of the planet? How do I want to show up um, at work? What kind of work do I want to do? What is meaningful work? What is rewarding? What do I find gives me value, gives me the respect? Is it my accumulation of money and wealth and status that I get my respect from? Or is it growing vegetables and having a really good connection in my community and, and keeping myself healthy and bringing up a healthy family? And, you know, where do I get that respect from, I think, is the question we can start to ask. Yeah, I do wonder how many of us are asking ourselves those really searching questions and how many of us are just living from, from one shift to the next, one day to the next, and just running the program unthinkingly. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. And I'm sure in medicine, it's the same as in, in the corporate sector. There's a sort of those and it's sure it's in phases of life as well you know i'm 51 now and I, and 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 i know i didn't think in the same way i'm thinking now when i was 31 um you know i was i was i was maybe in in classical terms more ambitious either about business or about adventure you know i i had a tick list of countries i wanted to visit and adventures i wanted to go on and you know my respect came from the last trip I did, you know, from the last expedition I was part of. And I could then talk to my friends. Oh, yeah, I've been to Namibia. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we went to Costa Rica. And there's this sort of almost this um, Trump, you know, Trump cards being played on 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 adventures we'd had. And and I don't want to devalue that because it, it's been hugely formative. But as as I think there's a I think we have to ask that question. Is this chase, whatever it is, whatever my version of the chase is, is it is it giving me what I want? Um 
and only we only we as individuals can answer that i, don't, I wouldn't want to prescribe that for anybody yeah maybe now's a great chance to be asking that asking yourself that question <laughs> yeah yeah um so going back to the kind of fundamental tenets of, of developing self-awareness. Now, you presented me, Piers, with a with an equation, and the equation is awareness plus range equals choice. What does that mean? Yeah, so I will I will share this and unashamedly credit a gentleman called Mark Walsh, who was my teacher in this respect, uh, and he he runs uh, an amazing course called the Embodied Facilitator Course. Um, and this is a phrase he uses and one I've adopted because I think it's such a powerful phrase. So awareness plus range equals choice. Awareness is about self-awareness. So how do I show up? What am I like? How do I deal with conflict? How do I deal with fun? How do I deal with challenge? How do... So it's, all, it's raising my awareness of how I come across. Do I love to get into the detail or am I a bigger picture person? Am I a strong, assertive leader? Or am I somebody who's quite laissez-faire and pretty laid back? N- not putting any kind of value judgment on any of that. But how aware am I of those traits, my character traits? And you can do personality profiling tools from Myers-Briggs to Insights. You know, there's all sorts out there. So build awareness. I think I think we, it begins by building awareness. What is the impact I'm having right now? Then once, I've, once I'm aware, I can start to develop range. And that means I can operate in, in more broadly in many different circumstances. So have I got the, you know, we talked about CrossFit uh, a little earlier. You know, CrossFitters have a lot of range in their physical capacity. They can lift heavy stuff. They can challenge themselves aerobically. They're relatively gymnastic and mobile. That's a lot of range. Well, I think there's a behavioral range that we can equate to that as well. Can I handle my my friend who's grieving? Can I G my team up and get them motivated to do something? Can I deal with this patient who needs a high level of technical understanding of a complex illness or disease? So what's my range like in terms of how I function? Because if I'm aware and I know how I come across and what the impact is, and I've now got the range, which means I've got a broader skill set, then I ultimately I've got choice in any moment about what I do next, the decisions I make and how I come across. That's the, that's really, that's it. That that really makes sense to me. Um, And as a fellow CrossFitter, like, like you peers, I can, I can see that because the the training that CrossFit gives you is, it's very much functional fitness. It's very broad in its, in its scope. And I I like the parallels between that and um, the range in, um, in behavioral terms and, and how empowering that is and how that, how that gives you choice that, that really works for me. Yeah, and and just to kind of you know build build on that idea, I I think sometimes it's hard to see our awareness if you see, if you get me. I'm I'm kind of an I'm an unconscious incompetent. So I think well I'm pretty effective. I I seem to get the job done, and I, and I think I have to actively ask others. You know that thing we did last week. How did it go? You know when I ran that meeting and I chaired it, and I couldn't help feeling like it wasn't that great. And I I need to go and ask my colleagues. How did I come across? Did I manage it well? Did I lose my cool? Was that response a bit chippy? You know should I should I have been that tough on that individual? I think we've got to be active in our search for awareness, and I don't think it's da da. I'm now self-aware. <laughs> you know I think it's a lifetime. It's a life pursuit really. Um, and it's only through that investigation and that curiosity that I can that I can really build really build out that awareness. And you mentioned a couple of tools that can be used. So there's some um, things like Belbin team roles. There's Myers Briggs. There's there's a few different 
um, tools there. Do you think they they have value in in understanding yourself and developing that self awareness? I do, uh, and I think we, as with all of them, they're just a tool. So we, I can remember being a Myers Briggs evangelist for a long time. It was kind of oh, I've done Myers Briggs. Everything I looked at the world through this Myers Briggs lens. I was using the letters. I was describing everybody. I was sort of you know, positioning myself on this, on this little pedestal saying, well, I can see you're an ISTJ. And of course I'm only, you know, you know, I was brandishing these letters around. You drank the Kool-Aid. I drank the Kool-Aid for sure. Yeah. And was suitably annoying and got told to shut up by my wife. And, um, and, and I love them. I do love them. And, and I think we need to remember they're just tools. I think we need to remember that they're, um, they're useful, but, but, you know, if you've got a, a hammer, then everything you see is a nail and, and, NLP is another classic. I've heard a lot of people talk about NLP and I've, tr- I've done some training in NLP and I've got a lot of respect for experienced NLP practitioners. Um, and, and I think it is a, just another tool. So, I, you know, I'd always be careful about looking at the world just through any one of those lenses. Yes, that's very interesting. Um, uh, like you, so I did my Myers-Briggs uh, um, a few years ago. What's your type? And Can you remember your letters? Most people forget they get like yeah. one of them and then. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, I think I was an uh, EN. I, I've changed. I've done it a couple of times since. And each time I come out differently. Uh, and I think it's because some of that is, so the, 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 the different dichotomies, whether you're thinking or feeling or introverted, extroverted. I think for me, uh, some of it was what I, what I probably was. And some of it was what I wanted to be. Some of it was actually aspirational. It's where I wanted to be at that moment in my life. And it reflected that particular kind of very transient state and I the, the most accurate version of it I've done it multiple times um was when I got my wife to do it for me she yeah. knows me a lot better than me she's yeah. more self-aware of myself than I am yeah I can believe that the people around us know us better don't they <laughs> yes. I think some some people yeah. use it often as a bit of a defense as well say well I can't I can't shut up I'm an extrovert you know it's like yeah don't don't tell me to be quiet well I know I talked over you but I'm an extrovert That's, I think we've got to be really careful not to not to use it as a you know as a justification for inappropriate sure. behavior yeah and it is you know like you say it is a tool that is inherently quite reductionist isn't it it distills it down to 16 different personality types which you know like it or loathe it it is does seem something of an oversimplification when you think of just how complex we are as, as yeah organisms. yeah it doesn't bring in our use of humor it doesn't bring in our socioeconomic mm. experience and up up it doesn't tell you it doesn't talk to you about your relationship to faith or anything you know there's so many aspects it doesn't you know where were you born in your sibling hierarchy you know that's going to play a part whether you're an ENFP or an ISTJ if you were the older if you were the older sibling you're going to have characteristic potentially have characteristic behaviors so none of that comes into Myers-Briggs necessarily that said what where I think it is useful is it gives us the language to so if you and I were colleagues and you were an ISTJ and I was an ENFP we would have a common language to use to talk about how to get the best out of each other. And That'd be great. We could just talk in four-letter terms. And we no could. No, 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 it's just like talking like in code, language. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so let's let's put the uh, the tools, the, 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 those tools aside. Are there any other methods that you suggest uh, the medics listening to this could improve mm. their skill of self-awareness? Yeah, so th- there's... There's lots going on. There's lots of, a, you know, where do you begin? It's a really good question. I think reading and my experience of working with medics and, and I've done, you know, I've worked with medics for a long time 
Um, and I think they're an in, inherently curious bunch. You know, they're sort of interested. They want the book. Tell me the what book can I? So I think reading stuff is super useful. You know, and there's tons of there's low, but but read broadly. I would say try not to get locked into. Well, I love military strategists. I'll read all about leadership in a military. You know, it's great, but it is again, it's only one. It's only one version of leadership. So I think read read broadly would be one thing I would say. And that's about developing your range. I think so. Yeah, and yeah. and exposure. You know, because I, I, one one of the thing I've heard the books I've heard talked about a lot is Jocko Willink. So his his stuff around extreme ownership. There's a book called Extreme Ownership by a former U.S. Navy SEAL called Jocko Jocko Willink. It's a great read. Tells stories about his fighting days and the leadership lessons he's learned. And that is one tiny slice of leadership. You know, there's a huge amount of great stuff from, you know, Buddhist monks who are talking about compassionate leadership. You know, that's really interesting as well. And you couldn't get further from the military stories, but they're all relevant. They all play a part. So that's, I think, I think broadening exposure to approaches is part yeah, of that. You know, that's really interesting you say that, Piers, because medicine as an institution, it does tend to funnel people into specialties. Um, so we start broad in our medical school training in our foundation years, and then we're funneled down whether we're a surgeon or a medic and then upper GI, lower GI, whether into pancreases or stomachs or whatever it is. And, and I think a, a, a large cadre of medics um, in, in the modern kind of health system are really just focused on one tiny area of the body and they will produce a lot of research and a lot of output around that kind of very um, precise discipline but I think at the expense of that range that you talk about, and for me as a, as a GP, one of the reasons that I've chosen that is that you get to be a generalist, you get to develop that range. And it's 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 incorporating and synergizing all of these different ideas that that really energizes me. And um, I, I wouldn't want to be a super subspecialist, but there's plenty of them within healthcare. And yeah, but then we're, 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 we're breaking the body down into individual parts, aren't we, at that point? And we're saying, well, I'll fix this part, but it's an integrated system. You know, organizations are integrated systems. And I think one of the mistakes that happens in organizations is, well, we're in marketing and we've got to fix this. Well, you've got to talk to finance to do that. And you're going to have to talk to production as well. And if you don't talk to the executive board as well as some of the delivery guys, why get marketing sorted and working brilliantly when the rest of the organization is failing around you? And I'm, I, that would be my, you know, that's what I notice about medicine is that tendon. There's these lovely two words, differentiation and integration. And I think medicine is probably very good at differentiating and the GPs are the ones that have to integrate. You know, you can differentiate the problem with the pancreas or the problem with the heart or the problem with the circulatory system. Or, But if you only focus on that area, you're missing the whole integrative healing that needs to go on. And I suppose, you know, I feel you know, World Extreme Medicine, that's really what we're seeking to do as well. We're drawing, we're trying to integrate some of that experience, some of those insights from a really diverse range of, of people and bring them into the, the medical sphere so they can be, they can be tried out and, uh, and used and hopefully they'll be uh, something that people can add to their arsenal and boost their range. Yeah, and I think you do it brilliantly. You know, my, my experience of World Extreme Medicine is 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 so good at bringing in experience. And, you know, there's something magical about that, isn't there? Get a group of people together, expose them to a whole series of different influences and let that wonderful alchemy of experience create better better medics and actually probably better human beings. Um, and I think you are, you're a great vessel for that or vehicle, maybe, maybe you're a vehicle that just kind of brings in all these <laughs> vehicle vessels. Yeah. They all yeah. begin with V. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
Now, uh, one thing I wanted to explore with you, Piers, is uh, perhaps you can coach me a little bit here, but um, I've noticed that sometimes when I'm a bit tired or I'm under a bit of pressure, um, both on in an expedition setting and also in my domestic environment, uh, I don't I don't behave quite how I plan to. Um, uh, so this morning I fell out with my wife over some really kind of trivial thing. Uh, and I kicked off, I threw the toys out the pram and I was left an hour, an hour later thinking, what was that all about? You know, I feel like I, I you know, there are times when I completely lose my composure. Um, I'm sure many people can relate to this. Um, how can we use, a, how can we develop self-awareness to the point where we're able to uh, be more in control of our own emotional output? Brilliant. Great question. So uh, we can can I try and teach you something? Would that be all right if I do a little yeah. teach and everybody yeah. can listen in? This is a little practice that everybody can do. Um, all ears. Awesome. Okay. So the, and that, I've been teaching this to my coaching clients. I teach it to my leadership groups. And it's a really simple practice called centering. And it's like an awake meditation. It's like an in the world meditation. You know, I think meditation is fantastic. And I think there are some people out there with some incredible experience, you know, 10 day Vipassana retreats where they're in silence and awesome, absolutely amazing. The sort of discipline it takes in order to do that. I'm really interested in meditation that can be taken into the real world. When I'm dealing with this patient, I'm dealing with my family, I'm doing what you did, threw the toys out of the pram and had a strop for whatever, you know, a reason I can't even remember. So I'm really interested in the kind of meditation that translates into the real world. So this practice, it's called centering and it's an in the moment self-regulation technique. And it, I'm going to do, it's going to take us about three minutes to go through the practice, if that's okay. But there's also a, 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 thir, a 10 second version you can do. And, I th and so it allows you to organize what you're thinking, what your body is doing and what you are feeling emotionally. And if you can organize that and get some sort of regulation about that, then I can make a different choice in that moment when I wanted to honk my horn at the person who cut me up when I was driving or be frustrated at the person on the tube who bumped into me when we got on the train. So it's a self-regulation technique. So are you, are you game for me uh, giving you a little go, doing a bit of centering if the pair of us do it together? Okay. So listen along as well if you're listening to this. You could be standing, you could be sitting. It works. I'm, I happen to be standing at the moment. It doesn't matter if you're standing or sitting. And I'm just going to take you through a little um, eyes open um, awareness sort of body scan. Um, uh, and I'm going to follow three simple words, A, B, C, which is awareness, balance, and core or center line relaxed. So those three words are going to crop up as I, as I talk you through this. So begin by taking a big breath in and a big breath out. And we're going to start with the word awareness. Get yourself in a symmetrical position. So if you're sitting, try and sit symmetrically on the chair. If you're standing, Try not to weight one hip or the other. Think about your feet on the floor and wiggle your toes. Can you feel the pressure of your shoes? Notice the touch of your trousers or skirt on your legs. Bring your attention up through your legs into your hips. Are your hips forward? Are your hips back? Are you holding your knees tightly? Are your adductors activated or are they relaxed? Do you have any tension in your tummy? Let that go if you do. Soft belly. Bring your awareness up into your body. Can you feel the touch of your shirt or your t-shirt on your skin? Bring your awareness to your arms, down your elbows, into your wrists and to your fingers. Can you notice your fingers without moving them? Are you aware of the space between your fingers? And bring your awareness up your neck to your head. Is it balanced effortlessly on your shoulders? 
Moving on to balance. Give yourself a little rock from side to side and from front to back and get yourself in a balanced position, emotionally balanced, physically balanced. And now think of awareness of your eyes. Open your eyes wide, top to bottom, side to side. And now center or core relaxed. Relax your forehead, your cheeks, your tongue, your mouth, your throat. Take in another breath and blow it out and bring your attention through your core, back through your hips and down to your feet. So as you've done that, Will, did you, what did you notice? You tell me if you noticed anything as you went through that practice. I noticed there was certain areas of tension, uh, especially around my shoulders. And, it, you know, when I was able to focus on on, on those areas I, and, and letting go, I was like, oh, I didn't even know that tension was there. Right. Cool. Really? Yeah. Anything else? I, I didn't really think about my body that much. It doesn't really, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very... I'm, thinking about the, the world around me, I'm very externally focused and it's, uh, it's quite novel, isn't it? To, uh, to kind of look inside yourself for a moment and think, hey, what's going on? Um, so that was quite striking. Yeah, and, and I have a, a, a sort of personal mantra, which is if I want to get out of my head, get into my body. So I often find myself wrapped up in what I need to do and who I need to call. And actually, what's my heart doing? Oh, it's beating quite fast. How's my breathing right now? Oh, look at that tension in my shoulder. So I have a my watch here. And I bought it specifically because it has a vibration function rather than a, an audible function. I can do both. And I set it to go off at random intervals. There's a countdown alarm on it. So I set it for 57-minute intervals, and then it'll vibrate on my wrist. And I do a little check-in. I do a little centering practice. I go, oh, yep neck was tense god i was holding my tummy tightly why was i why was i hunched over while i've been at my computer all morning and i do a little kind of ah letting go moment and it's you know i've been doing it for a couple of years and and i must admit i i can remember i could count the times on one hand that i've checked in on myself and not had some sort of tension some sort of stress some sort of facial reaction to what's going on around and actually when you let that go you realize how much you accumulate through the day how often you accumulate this. And when I'm in that locked-in, resistant, defenses-up mode, then I, I'm not the best version of myself. I'm the more reactive version of myself. That's when I throw my toys out the pram, respond abruptly, honk my horn, what, what, whatever it is. And so I really like the way you've built that a habit around that by setting an alarm on your watch so that you're doing that throughout the day. Um, and it's, it, it's, it, there's a clear prompt for that, for that to happen. Um, are there any other techniques that you'd suggest to people that perhaps are, are working busy shifts yeah. or in clinic and they perhaps can't have their alarm going off on their phone? Are there any other ways that they could have, build that habit into their daily routine? Yeah, definitely. So number one, a couple of resources. Number one is is I've got a YouTube video of a seven-minute version of that centering practice. If you go Piers Carter Centering, you'll find it on YouTube. And I just talk you through that and you can actually practice that in the quiet of your own home. But it's like my, my point earlier about meditation being great, uh, not, you know, uh, is kind of less useful if you can't take it from the cushion into the world centering you know you need, as you say you need to be able to do it on the ward you need to be able to do it in the emergency department or wherever you work so so my tip would be pick a doorway or a threshold when and every time you go through it you're going to do a little check-in so you know i've had clients i've had business clients say when they walk into their office on their floor and they come out of the elevator onto their floor they do a little check-in and when they get out of their car, off their train and walk in through their door at home, they do another one. So it's kind of arrival moment 
and going home moment because they often take their home self into work and their work self into home. So by choosing a couple of little thresholds, doorways, you know, I've, I've got a door to my office and what, one of the practices I could use is every time I open that to go back to my house, because I'm in a separate building to my house, I could just do, a, you know, I'm reintegrating. So I do a little, let some of that go, release that neck, walk through the door and be the dad I want to be instead of being the coach or the trainer that I am. So, you know, back to your listeners, if there's a threshold in where you work or a couple of different places where every time you went through them, you did a little, how much tension have I got in my tummy? Can I just slow my breathing down, even for five breaths, five intentional breaths? That will make you interact differently with the next person you come across. Put a gentle smile on your face. Just change that facial expression and notice how it changes how you feel inside. Yeah, yeah that's that's a really powerful stuff there, Piers. And I certainly know I find myself as a, as a GP, if I'm running a bit late and I don't allow myself time to prepare for the next patient, I'm much more reactive than if I feel a bit more in control I've I've kind of put my feet flat on the floor and I've grounded myself for a moment taken a few breaths um I, you know I just think it, it's it's worth that time investment if you can if you can do it isn't it yeah definitely and I'll give you a live example so um, you mentioned in my intro, I work with a couple of pharmaceutical companies. I was in Germany last year and I was working with a fairly um, a, a fairly senior group. They all worked in finance and it was, it was a three-day facilitated team effectiveness event. So this was their kind of annual thing where they were deciding strategy for, for the next 12 months. It's quite, it quite a lot going on. You know, it's quite, it quite an emotionally charged thing as well as having a lot of business to get through. And I was, uh, I was at one point I was standing there at the front of the room and I was facilitating this process that was pretty contentious. There were some arguments going on and it was because it was a difficult moment in their business. And there was one guy that took uh, exception to me and a German guy, and he was one of the senior people there. And he was kind of, he was, he was cross about what, about something. I couldn't quite work out what it was. And I was on the defensive. So I was standing there at the front and I had a bit of a frown and a scowl on my face and then my arms were full. I was kind of up and a bit defensive. And we were in this kind of horns locked moment. And I felt my, by chance, I'd set my watch that morning and it vibrated on my wrist. And I went, and I smiled to myself and I, I just relaxed my face a little bit. I put my arms down, I put them behind my back changed balanced out my posture looked at this guy and then i thought he's not he's not cross with me he's cross with where we're at in the process and i looked around the room and i said klaus is clearly frustrated i totally get that is anyone else feeling the same and somebody else put their hand up and said yeah i am but i think we've got to go through this in order to get where we need to get to i think you're right klaus would you bear with us for half an hour and if we haven't got somewhere we'll come back to this but are you okay and my whole relationship to that moment changed because i let go of some sense of it's it's me and him against each other he doesn't like me i'm finding him frustrating so i had the prompt and i was able to let some of that go and go huh there's more going on here than i'm realizing Wow, so we do, it's quite fortuitous, in fact, oh, that your watch went super lucky. At the right moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very lucky. <laughs> Were you kind of like, oh, just let me get this a moment, and he, expecting you to reach for your phone, and instead you just stood there. <laughs> Well, it was, yeah, it was, he, uh, he, he kind of dissolved, you know, his frustration yeah. because I okay, changed yeah. my, you know, I was in a, I was kind of in defensive, somewhere between defense and attack. He was clearly somewhere similar and suddenly that dis his opposition disappeared. I, I kind of melted a little bit and kind of, and, and actually what happened to me and my attention was, oh, there's a whole room full of people who might be feeling something. What's happening folks? Oh, you know, an insight there it was. 
Wow. But you through that practice, you've created a, a, a gap yeah. between stimulus and response. There's a little and space, that, isn't there? A little space. Well, there was perhaps a tiny space and you've you've created a, a big space with which you can you know that's it that's an incredibly kind of empowering empowering thing that you've done and and that and i've used this sort of your lovely use of the word stimulus and response because that's the one thing that sets us apart as a species isn't it there isn't an is there another planet uh, animal on the planet that gets to make you know bears when they're hungry don't you know don't say well i'm trying to lose weight i'm not going to eat that salmon do that you know they don't make those choices whereas we do we can make those choices so somewhere between stimulus and response for the animal that it, they're kind of they're bolted together for us there's a little slice where we can put the word choice but we've got to we've got to give ourselves stimulus angry klaus response resistant peers ah wait a minute yes, yes. choice and the other thing that differentiates i'm not the person to come up with this but the other thing that differentiates us from other members of the animal kingdom is that we are able to response certain stimuli in the moment but whilst other animals say for example a deer that's been chased by a predator that will be that will pass and then the deer will return to just grazing on pasture won't, won't dwell on it we hold these moments we we uh ruminate Replay. over them yeah, yeah, we yeah. then project forwards into the future and that generates a lot, a lot of regret and anxiety uh, you know, unless we we kind of handle those moments as they come at us in life, that we don't process them them properly and, and respond in 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 in, in, a, in, a, in the correct way, then yeah, we, we it all accumulates and builds up Absolutely. And, and creates us creates problems for us, doesn't it? And that, I mean, you're, we're starting to get onto this idea of resilience, aren't we? And that that you know, if we're gonna, you think of the average, the my, I don't know, I don't work in medicine, but my, I'm guessing that there's people who've gone through high levels of stimulus over the course of the, their working days at the moment. What's that? You know, if they're taking all of that home with them, if they're going round and round and round with that, if they're struggling with the patient they couldn't help like they wanted to, you know, that's got to be so tough. You know, what is your what is your personal practice to allow you to differentiate that, integrate it into your narrative, into who you are, but also put it to rest so that you can show up again and again and again. And I think I think we have to have some conscious practices around that. And maybe it's meditation and maybe it's CrossFit and maybe it's just going for a windy walk on a canal towpath, you know, it, but but have a conscious practice around that integration of all of that stuff that happens because the stuff will happen. We can't really negotiate on that to all of us in one form or another. That's that's the non-negotiable. It, it's how we it's choose to deal happen. with it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's one other aspect of self-awareness that I wanted to explore um, with you, Piers, and that is uh, when you're in a team environment, let's say you're the medic or on an expedition, is being aware of your own profile within that group where everyone has is living in quite uh, confined um, conditions. How, uh, how can people lose self-awareness? How can their actions be misinterpreted perhaps by other members of the group and that, that lead to very toxic dynamics um, uh, and allegiances forming in that, in that team? <laughs> Does my question make sense? Uh, kind of. Kind, uh, yeah, I think so. It, it's that's, yeah. Um, let me check I've understood. that. I guess the question is, as a medic on an expedition, the truth is, so 
Well, I'll tell you where my mind went. Maybe that's the easiest way to to respond. I think what can happen is the medic can set themselves as other than the group. And I think that happens as a staff member quite a lot. So I can remember being on expedition with a group of fundraisers. We're doing a charity trek of some kind and we're in, you know, let's say we're in um, Cambodia. We're doing a charity bike ride. We've got a medic, you know, I'm the expedition leader. We've got various other guides. It's very easy for me to perceive myself as other than so I'm here, expedition leader. Oh, the group are not getting on. Like it's like I've externalized any responsibility for that not working. I'm in it. You know, I'm, I'm, you're not in traffic. You are traffic. You know, that's the sort of argument with a traffic jam. You, start, you sit there in your car going, look at all these drivers in my way. Don't they know I'm trying to get home? Yeah, you're one of them. You know, you're, and I, and I think that's a really important perspective. You know, the medics are just another part of the team there it's back to the point about you know medics having specializations within medicine if you just see yourself as other then there's always an there's an opposition to other isn't there and then there's a detachment from what what the reality is so i think step number one is to know that you're in it you're part of the ingredients of that cake and you're you're just as you have a different function different role but you are still very much part of it and once you get a level of acceptance of that then you can start to make more skillful choices about how you are in within that you can't just comment on it because you're actually in it yes that's really interesting because uh one of our previous guests was uh, an expedition leader called joe bradshaw who i've worked with and she's got lots of experience of working with different medics and um and she was reflecting on how within a team certain actions can be perceived by others in ways that you don't always appreciate so I think some medics feel it's okay to be a bit aloof that they are perhaps somehow exceptional and they are, they can um, kind of do their own thing a little bit because they're the medic. They don't have to muck in. They don't have to help scrub the, the pans out at the end of the day or put the tents up, whatever it is uh, that they're beyond that. But without even realizing it, if they don't have self-awareness, the rest of the team members are looking at them thinking, oh, you're actually a bit of a douchebag, aren't you? I don't think I like this person. Uh, and unless they uh, they kind of pick up on those cues and realize how how that what their profile is within that group, it, it can be really really um, uh, really damaging to to the to the whole the whole group. Yeah, and the cheeky phrase comes to me with this, which is you'll be you'll be hired for what you know, and you'll be fired for how you behave. So you know the medic will have been brought in because they're a medic, and everyone will be like, brilliant, we've got a medic on the team, and then they turn out not to be that nice. Well, I'm not going to take my concern to them if I find that I if I find them objectionable or aloof or distant or unapproachable in some way. So actually, their presence is maybe going to cause more, you know, clinical problems down the line because people are not presenting to them because they don't want to go and see the different. So there's you know there's potential there for it to be actually exacerbating medical issues. Um, and, and I think they, medics do have a brilliant skill set, an essential skill set to expedition life, and they can bring so much more. And the medics I've worked with, I've, I've almost universally been, been spoiled with the medic. They've pitched in, you know, they've been doing as much group management, cleaning up, food serving, route finding as any other member of staff, often more than they've done medicine. And they really, what a quality that is, because not only are they a really valued team member, they're also a medic and it's almost like they're a team member first. Oh, and they happen to have, have medical skills rather than I'm the medic and maybe I'll do a little bit around the edges, but not that much. And I think perceiving yourself as just another pair of hands to do anything and I can do medicine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be the reality of being an exhibition medic is actually the medicine's very dilute. And if the trip's well planned, 
then you shouldn't really be very busy, in which case I, I think you've just got to muck in and, and enjoy the experience and uh, be part of that Part group. of the team, yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. Well, Piers, it's been really, really great chatting to you. Um, thank you so much for all your insights. I, I feel really honoured to have been asked it, to, to be honest. Well, it's been it's been great to be able to talk sort of unashamedly about the things that excite me and the opportunities. You know, this whole world of people and behaviour is just so I'm just always so fascinated by it. And and uh, yeah, if, if any of it's been any use, I, I, I'm, I hope well, I hope it has. I hope some of it has been of some value to some of your listeners. Well, uh, any uh, those of you listening, if you have any questions or comments for Piers, please get in touch with them. How can they do that, Piers? Um, email's the first port of call, Piers, at piercarter.co.uk. If you've got any questions around teams, around leadership, anything to do with self-awareness, really happy to correspond and you know find out what's going on. I'm, I've got a YouTube channel. It's kind of haphazard, really. Piers Carter, imaginatively named. Um, and there's some stuff on there. But actually, you know, if you just want to have a conversation, I'm really open to I love love having conversations. So I'm really open to that. Fantastic. Thanks, Piers. My pleasure. Thank you.